God has gone to extraordinary lengths to have a relationship with you. And because of that, that gives us the capacity. It gives you the capacity to build incredible relationships with all the people around you. Hi, I'm Louis Giglio with Passion City Church, and I'm so excited to introduce you to Relatable, a six-week small group resource that's literally for everyone. Relationships are tricky, whether it's a husband and wife or whether it's a mom and dad trying to have a better relationship with a son or daughter, whether it's a son or daughter wanting to have a better relationship with mom or dad. might be some unresolved conflict from the past, or you may be in that single season of life and you just want to prepare yourself for the person that God has planned for you. Well, I believe as we're able to receive what God is giving us and continue to do that, It's going to affect our ability to have meaningful and successful relationships with all the people in our lives. So I want to invite you to join me as we explore together how receiving God's love and embracing God's grace will unlock in us the ability to have a great relationship with God, with our family, with our friends, and ultimately with ourselves. So I hope to see you in Relatable. One of us finds ourselves at war in our brains every single day. We've bought this lie that we are a victim to our thoughts. We are at war. In the next six weeks, we're going to look at the scriptures. You're going to see again and again this truth that we have authority. We have a choice between chaos and quiet, between noise and solitude with God, between denial and healing. Next time you're stuck in a downward spiral of distraction, choose God knows that where we will find contentment is actually not thinking so much about ourselves. You are not helpless because God lives inside of you. He knows that we are not going to get all this right. He knows that we are not going to be perfectly holy and perfectly single-minded people all the time. Yet He died anyway. We choose to obey Him no matter how we feel. This is our mindset free. It's our upward spiral. We have a choice. We forget. The Bible doesn't call us victims, it calls us warriors. And we were built to fight the greatest battle in our generation, this battle of our minds. Judgment House is coming to your area. Don't miss your chance to experience Judgment House this year. Over 5 million people have experienced this live drama about the truth of people's choices and their consequences. Reservations are recommended but not required. Judgment House is not recommended for children under 10. Judgment House, tour your final destination.
Well, good morning. It's good to see y'all. I'm glad that you're here this morning, and I I trust that just like normal, um, because we're Baptists, um, there'll still be some that'll come in for, I don't know, maybe the next 20 minutes. So, um, but I'm glad that you're here early this morning, and I want to let you know about a couple of things. One is Judgment House uh, Preview, kind of a, um, it's not just a rehearsal, but it's for um, our church family. It's tonight from 6 to 9. You can still sign up for times, right? Okay, so um, go online, go to the Judgment House tab on the website, and you can sign up for a time. That way you don't have to wait. If you decide not to do that, just know that you will wait in the line for as long as it is, and uh, they'll get you through. So um, that's tonight, North Campus. Um, Make sure you're you're part of that. That'll be great. And then this coming week, um, they'll be presenting on Wednesday through Saturday evenings. Um, And it's the, the same thing. So pray for... Um, not just the cast and, and all, the, all the folks that are involved in that, the counseling and, and the presentation, but, but also pray for those that will be coming. Um, because there will be people that will be unsaved that will be coming to this. And because of the situation we're in with, with COVID, because it's a drive-through, there may be more opportunity to, to reach folks tonight and, over, well, tonight and this coming week than there would be otherwise. So, uh, so pray for Judgment House. Also wanted to let you know, so you are aware, um, we're going to, to be a little bit more diligent with our COVID protocols um, for at least the next several weeks. Um, probably needed to be better at it anyways. Um, but we've, we've got a couple of cases on church staff here. Now, last week I mentioned it was somewhere else. Um, but we've got um, both of our secretaries have tested positive. I'm going to let you know that. Um, because it means that you may not get somebody in the office on the phone if you call. And so um, pray for Elizabeth and Rita going forward, and, um, and just, kn- just know that we're doing all that we can to, to make sure this is a safe place to come and worship and work and, and do those kind of things. So, uh, so just, just lift them up in prayer and lift our church family up in prayer as we go through this. Um, I'm excited about this morning because we're going to talk about an access pass. Now, we were going to hand something out to you, but decided that may not be the best thing to do this morning. So, uh, so we're going to pray and get started on our worship and just excited about what God's going to do this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your great love for us and the grace that you give us. Father, it's grace that is good for every circumstance. And so, Father, we pray that as we've gathered this morning that, um, that you would pour your grace, that your spirit, being very present in this place, would do the work that only your spirit can do. And so, Father, we trust you with this hour. We trust you with our lives and, and really more than this hour. But, God, we want you to work during this time as we sing and lift up our voices to you as we pray, as we even give at the end of the service and as we um, do the things that that takes place in this room during this next hour god we want you to be praised and honored and so father may our obedience display our love for you and so father we thank you for this time we pray in jesus name amen let's go ahead and stand together church family Let's give testimony to what God has done and the power he has and the power he uses through us to reach others as well. 
I saw darkness run for cover But the miracle that I just can't get over My name is registered in heaven I believe in signs and wonders I have resurrection power Still the miracle that I just can't get over My name is registered in heaven My praise belongs to you forever This is my testimony from death to life Cause grace rewrote my story I'll testify By Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified This is my testimony This is my testimony Together, sons and daughters, bought with blood and washed in water, sing the praises of the Spirit, Son and Father. Our God will finish what He started. Yes, our God will finish what He started. This is my testimony from death to life. Cause grace rewrote my story I'll testify By Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified This is my testimony This is my testimony You're not done Greater things are still to come Oh, I believe If I'm not dead, you're not done Greater things are still to come Oh, I believe If I'm not dead, you're not done Greater things are still to come Oh, I believe you're not done Greater things are still to come Oh, I believe This is my testimony From death to life Cause grace rewrote my story I'll testify By Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified This is my testimony Oh, I'm alive This is my testimony From death to life Cause grace rewrote my story I'll testify By Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified This is my testimony This is my testimony time I hear this song, it makes me think of uh, growing up in a church that had lots of testimony time during service, where we got to share about what God was doing in our life. And I just love the phrase that says, if I'm not dead, you're not done, right? 
No matter where we are as followers of Jesus Christ, no matter our age, no matter our placement, where God has put us, doesn't matter what our job is, he's not done with us, no matter what, because he's brought us from death into this life, right? That's amazing news. Let me share this with you real quick. Psalm chapter, uh, no, pro, uh, Romans, let me look at the words. Romans chapter 6, it says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he dies to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus.
reveal the fullness of His reign. A horse will bow before the sound of Jesus' name. The cross of Jesus Christ is the reason Father, I pray that we will live with that testimony on our lips. Father, that we will show that in the life that we live in front of the people around us. God, I thank you that every moment we live is an opportunity to serve you and is a place that you have called us to with the message that you've given us of a new life in you. Father, continue to be honored and glorified through the teaching of your word today. Holy Spirit, we know you're here. Reveal yourself to us. Help us not to miss you today. Remove distractions from our minds, from our hearts. Work today, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. I was listening to that song, and um, there was a phrase in there that struck me. Just in thinking about what we're going to talk about this morning out of Ephesians, uh, that whole idea that power and grace are connected. Power and grace are connected. And the the line talked about that my life in Christ is is held by his power. And and the, uh, the idea there would be that before Christ, I was dead. Before Christ, I was dead in my sin and trespasses and have been made alive. And think about where I would be if I did not have the grace of God applied to my life. If I, if I had never come to know Christ, what would be the condition of me? And we could all do that, right? We could all say that at some point, Jesus Christ rescued us from a life that was bound to go a certain direction and is now changed. I mean, that's the idea behind um, Judgment House in some ways, in, is that they get presented, when they, when they come to that and drive through, they get presented what the gospel is and the choice that's made, whether to follow Christ and accept Him and receive Him as Savior or to reject that 
and end up eternally um, separated from a holy God. That would be also true of um, the idea behind the shoeboxes, Operation Christmas Child. When we give and place, place the gospel in those and they go into the hands of children, they read that, they may decide to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. I know they're not going to get saved by a toothbrush or something like that, but they might get saved as they read God's Word and allow the power of God's Word to affect their lives. Even here, we, we trust that when we come into this place, as we look at God's Word, that it will change us. It will move us from being dead to alive. And for those of us that have already accepted Christ as our Savior, then it's a, a challenge to us to, to not just take the grace that was applied to us, but to share that grace with others. You know, we, we live in a world that is void, in a lot of ways, of grace. And grace is the thing that we hold on to because grace has been applied to us through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we have a responsibility with that. This morning we're talking about All Access Pass, and it's from Ephesians chapter 3, so I'd encourage you to turn there. Ephesians chapter 3, and, and this, is a, this is the key phrase. Your all-access pass is a stewardship of grace given to you and grace offered to others. So you, as a believer, have an all-access pass to the grace that God gives you and, in effect, your responsibility to share that grace with others. That's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 3. He, he talks about the grace that was applied to him and how it sustained him and guarded him and took him on a journey that he didn't expect and at the same time taking that grace and sharing it with others that, who were dead in their sin. And so Paul, um, Paul had this as his, as his um, driving force of his life. I want to read from Acts chapter 9, because I'm going to start there, but I want you to hold your place in Ephesians chapter 3. So Acts chapter 9, because if when we understand Acts chapter 9 or begin to read there, we see a little bit of how Paul got to where he got. So Acts chapter 9, and we see that Paul was encountered on a road. Now, Paul was a, a, a Jew. He had a respected heritage. He was kind of the all-in Jewish guy who had studied and, um, and then felt as, as his obligation to go and chase down those that were following Jesus Christ. And so he became a persecutor of the church. He became one that hunted them down and, and actually wanted to receive letters or received letters to go and chase them. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 6 says, but Saul, and this, we know that Saul's name changes, um, Saul or Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, 
men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So you get the picture. He asked for permission to go. They give him permission, and his job is to go and find people that are believing in Jesus Christ to bind them and bring them back to Jerusalem, essentially for trial. Now, he, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, I don't, I don't know about you. When I'm driving my car, I don't expect anything like that to happen. And my guess is that Paul was the same way. As he's traveling down the road, he's not expecting this to happen either. And so this, this, this um, incident takes place on this road, and then this voice is heard, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And so Saul arose, and he, and he began to go, and he's told in Acts 9.15, or, or Ananias, the person he's supposed to see, is told in 9.15 exactly what Paul's mission, or Saul at that point, his mission is going to be. Look what it says in verse 15. Verse 15 says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now that's a pretty ominous call, isn't it? For, for Jesus to stop you in the middle of what you're doing and completely change the direction of your life, it's what we've been talking about for several weeks. It's that I'm going one way and I, I get turned around 180 degrees and begin to follow Jesus. That's exactly what happens here. Paul, or Saul, has an encounter with Jesus Christ, and it changes the direction of his life. And so Paul was a recipient and a relator of God's grace. And in chapter 3, we see that he is considered as a prisoner. He considers himself a prisoner in bonds, essentially submitting to the authority of Jesus Christ. And so from that time on the road, going forward, even with the reputation of being a Jew among Jews, a persecutor of the church, Paul leans forward into God and, and he becomes that, that one that is all for the way or all for believers or all for Jesus Christ. And so Ephesians chapter 3, um, and really... Um, Hear this, the, the beginning of, or Ephesians chapter 3 is essentially two sections. It's an interrupted um, treatise of who Paul is, and then what he's about, and what he's praying for, for those in Ephesus. So would you do me a favor today as we read all of chapter 3, would you stand in honor of God's Word? Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given, me, given to me for you. 
how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, verse 7, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Now that's the first section in Ephesians chapter 3, second section, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we consider what Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, and Father, as we read this, this turn in this letter to them about the grace that has been poured on the Ephesians, how they receive the gospel and what Paul's role is in that. And then, Father, how he prays that that new life that is begun in Christ would begin to be fleshed out to the world that was watching the church. Father, as we read Paul writing that, Father, I pray that you will take us and help us to see how this applies to our lives in this day. And Father, because of that, you would receive glory and honor. Father, we thank you for your word and for the challenge of your word. Father, may we respond in obedience to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 3 is is this two-section part, and there are a couple of significant words I want us to catch at the beginning because it'll kind of help us to understand the, the rest of this particular chapter. The, the first one is the word mystery. It, it's just something hidden. I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I like watching mysteries on TV, and 
or, or in the theater or wherever it happens to be. And as part of a mystery, there's always a plot twist, isn't there? There's always something that happens where you're expecting it to go one way and something happens and it goes a different way and, and you get to see the mystery unfold in front of you. And so that's, that's kind of intriguing to watch. And for the Jewish folks, it was uh, a mystery that the Gentiles would even have a relationship with God. It was uh, as if God had called the Israelites, and He did. They were His chosen people, but all of a sudden, there's this plot twist that the gospel would be presented to the Gentiles. Now, we don't see it because we get to read all of Scripture. We don't see um, that there's a difference. We even see that God was calling the Gentiles to a relationship with Himself, even in the Old Testament. But at the same time, for, for Paul and those that were living in that era, God, the God of Scripture, was a God that was essentially for the Jews. And here we have that plot twist, that mystery that's unfolded. It's a hidden thing. It's not obvious. And to the, to the Gentiles, it was different. But what Paul writes here is his Gentiles are fellow heirs. They're receivers of God's favor. Now, as, as someone who is bound to the, to the teachings of Judaism, Jews would not have seen God's favor on, on the Gentiles at all. But Paul described it, and he says, the Gentiles are fellow heirs. They also are fellow members. They are partakers or fellow members of God's household. See, they are, a, they are brought in, adopted in to be part of who God is. And lastly, they're fellow partakers to access to God. Where, where we would say that those that don't have a relationship with God, don't have access to God, what Paul is writing here is that the Gentiles were fellow partakers of access to God. They're given the rights to go to God because of Jesus Christ. And we would say when somebody receives Christ as Savior, that they have access to the Father. They have full access to, to going before God and pleading before Him. The second word is the word stewardship. And we understand it as maybe administration or, or management, oversight or protection. And it is all those things. But when Paul talks about this stewardship, it's about the received steward or the received grace of God that is given to Paul. So what am I going to do with that which I've received? And it's the, the application of that, of that grace. If I'm a steward of that, when I receive it, I want to treat it well. And so Paul says, I've been given this grace that, that goes beyond what you see in my imprisonment. Paul's stewardship is on the receiving end. And so how does this break down? Well, the first point this morning is that God's call might require risk. God's call might require risk. You see, Paul's call, or, yeah, Paul's call is not an indictment against God's love. You know, we read about, about Paul, and you, you consider that, that he was at, at extreme risk, just being somebody that was persecuting Christians to being one of them. It didn't mean that everybody else that may have been persecuting Christians just fell off the face of the earth at that point. They were, there were still people that were out to get them. 
And yet, in this, we see that Paul doesn't consider himself a victim of God's judgment. He sees his call and subsequent risk as a way of God showing his grace through Paul and in Paul's life. He saw the call to share the gospel to the Gentiles as a gift. And certainly, as a persecutor, he would have been at risk. But even if we question what God does, this, this whole idea of the call being risky, we could say, God, where were you in all of that? If you call me, am I going to undergo the same things that Paul did? Because we would look at Paul's life and we'd say, yeah, Paul, you're blessed by the grace of God. You got to be shipwrecked. You got to be snake bitten. You got to be imprisoned. Man, what a joy. Let's do it, you know. We don't look at it like that. We think, man, man, being Paul, man, that, that well, I'm not going to use that word. Um, being Paul is not, would not be good from uh, our perspective, would it? We would see it as, was Paul undergoing judgment? Was Paul being not blessed in, in his ministry? But Paul is blessed. And so what he writes in, in verse 13, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, for that it's your glory. Don't lose heart because you see me suffering in the risk in, while I am following God's call. And as a, as a person of Ephesus, understand that if God calls you, it may be risky. You're living in a world that does not like Jesus Christ. And as long as the world does not like Jesus Christ, you fulfilling your call to follow Him and share the Gospel is a risky proposition. We don't take that risk very often. If our employer says, do not share Jesus Christ, we say, oh, okay, alright, I won't. I'll just keep my mouth shut. Or go someplace and, and share and and say, be outside this, this box. Deb and I watched a movie last night about a, um, it was about, it was a Coast Guard movie off the, the east coast of New England. And um, it was a movie where this, this guy who was just all about following the rules to the letter. I mean, he, his fiance or his girlfriend asked him to marry him. He had, was supposed to go to his superior and ask for permission. And they said, it's just a formality. And he said, but I have to do it. It's just accepted. Well, I have to do it. And he's, he goes through all these things and, you know, and they get to this half, half of a, a ship and they get there and he says, how many is this boat supposed to hold? And they said, well, tops 20. He said, what does regulation say? And it was like 12. And he goes, we can't leave anybody. And so he loads up 32 people on this boat and, and drives them back to shore. It's a, it's a fascinating movie, but it, it was stepping into a risky situation to be able to do something that regulation wouldn't allow, but it meant saving Sometimes we get called into risky situations that will allow us to share the gospel and we understand the risk, but we also understand the reward. God may call us 
or God's call may require risk. Barnabas Piper said this, he said, we want to know what only God can know. And when God calls us, even, even though it may require risk, God knows how it's supposed to turn out. God's call might require risk. The second thing is God's grace is completely sufficient. You see, Paul realized the grace of God was his strength for the difficult task of taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Everywhere Paul went, it was a risk. He was identified with Jesus Christ, but he was also opening his mouth and sharing who Jesus was. And when the task is too big, success requires the grace of God. Paul was not doing this of his own strength. He was going back to the grace that was being given him in his call to go and be risky. And so how can we see the appropriation of God's grace if we're not willing to step into risky places or have risky conversations? This is what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. And you can read the context because Paul is struggling with a certain thing and, and yet pleads for God. And yet God turns and says, my grace is sufficient for you, or there is no lack for you, for my power is made perfect, or it is complete, or it finished. My power is made perfect in weakness, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul understood that sometimes in that weakness, I need the grace of God so that I can succeed in what God has called me to do. So grace requires, or God's call might require risk. Grace is, His grace is completely sufficient. And as I said at the beginning, grace and power are connected. God's grace and God's power are directly intentional in what Paul is called to do. It's a harnessed power. So God's call might require risk. God's grace is completely sufficient for that call. Now where does the church fit into this? Because Paul's making this transition in this passage to the church. And he mentions it a couple times in this passage. He mentions it um, in verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That, you know, that's, a, that's a crazy thing because we think rulers and authorities in earthly places would be how you should finish that sentence, Paul. But that's not what he says. He says that through the church, heaven will rejoice when the church is completely obedient to Jesus Christ. And, and really, the church is the, the most imperfect way or means or vehicle for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be better if Jesus just showed up and declared? Why put it in the hands of sinful man to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why would God do that? And yet, it's a wisdom that we wouldn't necessarily understand apart from the God that is the God of Scripture. All those in heaven 
not just earth, all those in heaven would see the wisdom of God as the church does what the church is called to do. Third point, God's church is the compelling evidence of His love. God's church is the compelling evidence of His love. This this word manifold in in this passage um, is the, the word in the Greek, means to be variegated. You know what variegated means? It's different colors. So if you have a plant that's variegated, it's got multiple colors in, in its leaves. And, and what Paul is talking about here is, is not this idea of different colors, but it's different wisdom that's applied, or wisdom that's applied in various ways. So the, the wisdom of God through the church, that manifold wisdom is seen as the church relates to its community, as it relates to government, as it relates to different things that are going on in that particular place. And so the Ephesian church was given this grace that they were supposed to show to a world or a community that did not know Christ and was devoted to Diana or Artemis. And then it says... Places are known in heavenly places, the witness of spiritual realm of the redemption of man, and it brings glory to God. Access, yes. We talk about Paul's imprisonment. We would be concerned with that, but Paul doesn't seem to be near as concerned as we would if we lived in Ephesus. Paul says it's a way for God to show grace. And so Paul prays. Verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory. So he's going to bow down and he's going to plead God and say, God, would you, out of the riches of your glory, give believers in Ephesus this? Give them inner strength, strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So an inner strength to, to deal with the circumstances of life. Second thing he prays, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So he wants them to not just have an inner strength, but a sincerity of love within the body. And it is to reflect the scope of God's love. So if we're going to love, it's not based on the love that is found on TV or somewhere else. It's based on the love that we find written about in Scripture of God's character. So Paul just doesn't throw it out there and say, hey, I want you to live out with sincerity this love as described by everywhere else I want you to live out the love that is described by looking at the character of God. That which is the, the breadth and length and height and depth of God's love. And lastly, to be filled with all the fullness of God. Or to have a full spirit. To allow your life to reflect the things that are godly in character. Galatians 5, and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We look at that and we say, how is my life reflecting the full Spirit of God to those that are around me? 
Paul got to live out these things from a prison cell, and yet he writes to a group of people in Ephesus that are living free, but still bound within a society that does not believe in who God is. So what can I do? See, you and I are stewards of grace. Like Paul, we've been given grace. This grace of Christ has been granted to us. If we are believers in Jesus Christ, we've been given grace. So how are we stewards of that? And then grace that we can extend to others. So you're a recipient. So how we flesh this out is we pray for opportunities to share God's grace. God, as you put me or call me into specific risky situations or risky conversations, give me the grace that I may present the gospel and reflect your character well to those that don't know you. But I pray for that. Pray for those opportunities to share God's grace. Pray for opportunities to share your story. And then actually share the gospel take those opportunities and in the middle of them share the grace of God had breakfast with someone this week and we were talking about um, different conversations that we've had about the grace of God and the love of God and spiritual warfare and I said one of the most intense um, times of spiritual warfare that I ever have was and I can go all the way back because it was one of the most intense it was while I was in student ministry in Atlanta, very early on in, in being a, a pastor at a church. And we went to a juvenile detention center, and I sat across um, the table from this young man. Now, he was obviously in there on purpose, and, but he, had, he held some, um, some clout in that space. I don't know exactly how that all came about. I don't know if it was intimidation. I don't know if it was because of why he was there that he held that clout. He was essentially being held because he was um, up for charges on arson, like three different types of arson and, and um, like attempted murder or something like that. But it was a safe place for, for me to be, at least at that point. And so I sat across the table from him. And he was a declared Satanist. And as we had this conversation, and, and he was very open to the conversation, and we talked through so much, and every week I would go back and we'd spend an hour, hour and a half talking through scriptures. And he would ask me questions, and I'd have to explain, and I'd come out of there just worn out. And, uh, the only way I can explain it, because I never really moved, I sat in a chair for an hour, hour and a half across the table from this guy, and all I did was talk with him and listened to him. And I came out of there like I'd played four quarters of a football game in full pads in August. You know, I was flat wore out. It was a piece of spiritual warfare or a type of spiritual warfare that I had not encountered, but by the grace of God, was able to share the gospel with him. I don't know what it changed. We stayed friends in, in that situation. I don't really know what happened to him because really didn't have the, um, they didn't really get names and all that kind of stuff or, or follow those cases. All I know is that it, it was a risky conversation in that place because of his clout. 
and the people that surrounded that conversation. It was intense. And God's grace was sufficient for that. So how can I be a steward of God's grace? How can I step into conversations like that? And it may not be that intense. It may be just the, the start of a conversation with somebody that you don't know all that well, but you begin a relationship. Why would I want to do that? When I'm a steward of God's grace, I want to do it because it gives me a chance to express the heart of God. It gives me an opportunity to express the, the heart of God. And with the hopes that it will expand God's kingdom. You see, we live in a world that desperately needs revival, don't we? Our hope is not found in the election. And if you have not voted, I want to encourage you to vote. Deb and I went yesterday. We saw a couple of our church members at the polls. And, and um, we, got to, we got to vote. And so we're done. We, we don't have the sticker because they weren't given stickers. But we would have the sticker if they gave them. But we get to expand God's kingdom, realizing that our hope is not found in a political party or a person. Our hope is not found in something in anything other than Jesus Christ. And when we get to share the gospel and express God's heart, we may expand the kingdom of God. We also get to exhibit God's work. Show evidence of His existence. You know, if your life does not exhibit the work of God, how can people see that? And then lastly, we do it because it encourages God's church. When we steward the grace of God well, it encourages the church. We get to hear the testimonies because God's grace has been applied. So what if I treated God's, the grace of God in my life as a stewardship? What if I took what God gave me as salvation through grace, faith, grace through faith in Jesus Christ, what if I took that and stewarded it well? We think of stewardship, so what, what would that mean? It may mean that I would be willing to lead a small group, a Sunday school small group each week. I'd be willing to do that. It may be that I would talk to a friend about Jesus. It, it might be that I would faith, be faithful to give to the church because that is an evidence of God's grace. And you can throw a lot of other things into that mix. How can I essentially apply the grace of God? But let me ask you this. If we're talking about application of God's grace and we say, yeah, I received the grace of God, it's good. Are you stewarding it well? Are you stewarding it in a way that says God is able? Because when we step out of obedience to Christ, when we step away from God's Word and say, you know, that part doesn't apply to me. That particular precept or principle doesn't apply to my life because I, one, I might have issues with that or it makes me uncomfortable or I don't feel equipped. At what point does the grace of God get to kick in and it makes sense? 
When is God not able to give you enough grace? I just can't do that right now. Why not? Is God's grace not able? You're not able to move there? Look at the last part of this passage. Verse 20, and I think Paul wraps up this whole idea of stewardship of God's grace in this last two verses. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. So we know that God can do it. He certainly has the ability to do that. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we all ask or think, according to the power of According to the power at work, where? Where? Within us. Oh. So it's God's power. So God can do something, and the power to do that is already within us, but it doesn't come from us. It comes from God. It comes from the application of His grace. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. That word able is the same word we would, we would see for dynamite, dunamai. Uh, it's the ability by strength. But it's not our strength. It's an inherent strength that comes from God. John Stott wrote about faith. He said, faith is a reasoning trust, a trust, with, with, a trust which reasons thoughtfully and confidently upon the trustworthiness of God. So if we're really going to have faith, if we're really going to have the application of what Hebrews 11 says, when it says without faith it is impossible to please God, that we have to step into a world that says God is trustworthy and steward the grace of God well. And when we don't follow Scripture, we step out of the trustworthiness of God, the ability of God, and the faithfulness of God, and we essentially step away from the idea that God's grace is sufficient for me. God's glory through the church. And so individually, we must, we must apply the grace of God and do the things that God calls us to to be obedient in all of it. But we also do it as a church. We take our, our personal de- deportment to the responsibilities we have as part of the church as serious and understand that when we apply God's Word and are obedient to God's Word, it benefits not just us personally, but it benefits the church as a whole. The flip side of that is true as well. When we say, God, you're not able to do this. You're not able to do this, then it affects the church negatively. There are people that sit in pews every single week that have been called or equipped to teach, and it's risky because you don't know all the answers, and I've heard that before. But I don't know how to answer those questions. But if God applies His grace, step into it. If you're gifted in teaching, don't worry about knowing all the information. There's enough in God's Word that you will never know all of it. 
You can be learned in it, but you're not going to know all of it. And so why not step into a place where you're not confident and allow the grace of God to be applied? Same is true with giving. I know we've, we've hit on giving, but we're headed into that budget time, so you know, it kind of comes with the territory. But what, what about your giving? Is your giving saying God is able? Or is your giving saying, I'm, I'm going to worry about that and everything else I'll be obedient to God in? Where's the ability of God applied? Because that, not just saying I'll be a teacher or I'll give or whatever it happens to be, not just it apply to you, but it applies to the whole church. So we use our all-access pass to God for grace and allow Him to multiply that stewardship. You see, when the grace is applied to Paul's life, it was not just for the Jews. It multiplied to, to be applicable to the Gentiles. And the kingdom of God was expanded because God expressed the heart of God. Because the people saw evidence of God's work in Paul's life, it encouraged the church to be bold in a time when the church was under persecution. And so you may be in here this morning as a believer, you could say, God, help me to value the stewardship of God's grace given to me. We take the time to value God's stewardship of grace toward you. And then, God, help me to have those risky conversations or go to risky places to share the gospel. And lastly, God, help me to be part of a church that ultimately brings your, you honor and glory. So as we individually take on the stewardship of God's grace, then we corporately can take on the stewardship of God's grace. If you're in here and have never trusted Christ as Savior, maybe you don't even know what the, the grace of God feels like, looks like, or, or how it can even be applied because you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. I'm going to pray in just a minute. And if you'd like to receive Jesus Christ as Savior, we want to give you that opportunity this morning. And I don't want to assume that just because you come to church on a Sunday that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because there's a whole lot of church that is, one, either not saved or not obedient. Those are really the options, aren't they? And so we have to take a look and inventory ourselves as to whether we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Even Paul wrote, check to see if you're in the gospel. So let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the grace that calls us to risky. We thank you for the grace that that is sufficient for every call and every need. And Father, we're even thankful that you use the church, both, both the people individually and corporately, to express your love to a world that doesn't know you. And so, Father, as we who are believers take inventory of our own lives, 
God, may we be um, honest enough and obedient enough to surrender all that we are to you and claim that you are not just able, but you will do what you say you will do. God, for those that are unbelievers who may have never received Jesus Christ, that I would ask them that they would just pray along with me for just this, this couple of minutes and say to you these words. If you've never accepted Christ and you want to this morning, if you would just say these in, in your heart and, and mean it and give God control of your life. Say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and that I cannot save myself. And that sin separates me from you. But God, right now, I want to trust what you did on Calvary over 2,000 years ago. That when Jesus shed his blood on the cross of Calvary, that you took on my sin and the penalty of my sin. Father, I want to trust that that sacrifice applies to me. And at the same time, I also want to trust that the power of the resurrection applies. That I would get to experience eternity in heaven with you. And so, God, right now I turn from my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. And I surrender my life to you from now on. If you're in this place this morning, you've done that. Trust that you will make that public by just coming forward and saying, I asked Jesus into my life this morning. Father, we, we thank you for your word going forth. That it's not me, it's not anything else father it's your word applying to us that we would um, take that and it would be um, profitable and so god as we enter this time of of commitment father some might need to come to the altar and say i've not considered god as able in my life and repent of that and say god i want to trust you for everything that's in front of me Father, for the one who did not know you, I pray that they will come forth and, and just say, I receive Jesus as my Savior. And declare that as an encouragement to the church this morning. Father, we thank you for this time. In our obedience, we want you to be praised. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as Wayne leads us? However God's calling you, whether it's to come and pray, whether it's to say, I received Jesus as my Savior this morning, you be obedient to Him in this place.
God's called to do, called us to do wonderful things. Things that would bring him glory and honor. And so this week, live that out. It may be a judgment house, you know, as part of the group. It may be a judgment house because you're praying. And nobody ever sees you do that. It could be because you are bringing stuff for the boxes or um, you're giving like you've never given before. Or you need to have that conversation with somebody that's around you that, that just makes you a little uncomfortable. You know, whatever it is, allow the ability of God to apply to you by His grace. Let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. And um, after we pray, let me share one more thing for those of you that weren't here early. All right. Father, we thank you for, again, for your grace. Father, help us to apply that in real time this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.